When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, so in 2015, Inc. Magazine recognized Noonday Collection as one of the fastest-growing companies in the United States. But years earlier, as Jessica Honiger stood at a pawn shop counter in Austin, Texas, and handed over her grandmother's gold jewelry. Her goal in that moment was not to build this huge, impactful company. It was a lot more personal than that. It was to fund the adoption of her Rwandan son, Jack, by selling artisan-made jewelry. And this first step launched a super unexpected side hustle that would grow into Noonday Collection. Jessica embarked on this new journey and teamed up with her very first artisan partner, a Ugandan jewelry maker named Jalia. And she saw the meaningful impact that Noonday brought to Jalia's community, and she knew that it was the right move. But at the same time, fear was totally creeping on Jessica as she realized that her success or failure meant the same for Jalia and her community. This week, I'm so excited to have Jessica on the show to have a conversation about what it looks like to move forward even when experiencing fear. We also dove into the difficulties of running a business, which, oh my gosh, it was so good to kind of get to have that conversation with her. And we also talked about how, because we have essentially the same personality type, we're both uh, Enneagram 7s, if you know what the Enneagram is. Uh, We both love to have so much fun. In fact, we laughed a lot in this episode, but we also... I don't know if this is the right way of saying this. We 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 hate the process of learning how to grow as humans. And we're both trying, but uh, it's such a journey. Uh, <laughs> Jessica is super thoughtful. She's really fascinating. And I had a great time talking with her. This podcast is called Sounds Good with Brendan Harvey. I am Brendan Harvey. And every single week we have conversations with inspiring people who are rejecting cynicism and using their lives to make an impact. Sounds Good is not your typical three steps to success podcast. We ultimately don't host this podcast for the sake of leaving you with bullet points on self-improvement. We believe that our lives are more complex than that. And so we show up here on Sounds Good to ask big questions, to dive into nuance and learn from each other's stories. So without any further ado, let's just jump straight into this conversation with Jessica Honiger. I saw on your Instagram story that you just saw Star is Born, which is so good, but also The Hate You Give. I saw The Hate You Give last night, and I oh cried like five times. It was so good. Oh, yeah. So that was so interesting because, okay, so you just told me you're a seven, and I I did not cry in The Star is Born. And I swear the entire theater had their tissues oh. out. I mean, people were like ugly crying, and I was like, I was just kind of mad. I was just kind of mad and I don't want to give it away to your listeners, but I got really moved by the art of the movie, the music, the vulnerability when people like choose to put themselves out there in that really raw performance art. But, um, but yeah, I was like, I am a cold hearted person, (laughs) but then in the hate you give, I have a son who's black. And so that just is a whole nother level for me and just... I took my daughter, who's in seventh grade. I wouldn't take my son. Um, I have two sons, and they're in elementary school. And, you know, there is a lot of F-bomb dropping and probably a little too outside of of their age just yet. But my daughter and I really got into it. And, um, yeah, I mean, I'm going to be – my husband and I are going to be having those sorts of conversations with, you know, our kids that, you know – this is what happens when you grow your family in a non-traditional way. So um, that really struck my my justice cord and my this isn't right cord. And anyway, I would highly recommend going to see that one. It was it was so well done. And my wife and I had read the book. And yeah, I have not read the book. I it's really good. Angie Thomas, the author, is fantastic. It's really engaging. I think you could still enjoy it if you already saw the movie. 
But I, yeah, I was just so struck by the courage of, you know, the main character and the empathy that I think that the film builds for people and the fact that it dove into such a nuanced topic, like it's diving into this idea of police brutality and race. But at the same, like there's this fascinating balance of, you know, main character has an uncle who's a cop, but also it got into every nuance around the conversation. Like it really did. And I loved how it was told through her perspective, the perspective of this teenager. Yes. I think that was really powerful. And I think that what was so relatable is how she showed up one way at her one school and she showed up another way in a neighborhood. And I think we can all relate to that idea of, of playing pretend and masking ourselves instead of like leaning into our own authenticity. And so I just loved like showing her journey at you know, throughout the movie and how she was finally able to b- embrace the both and, you know, like she yeah. stayed with her boyfriend that was white and rich, you know, but then she was really using her voice as an advocate. So I just thought that that was really the journey that we went on as a viewer was how can we take these different parts of our stories and really show up and be seen and integrate all of those parts of ourselves. So it was good on every level. Like I have thought about it for the last three days since I saw it. I just keep kind of getting more out of it. So, yeah. Man, it was, uh, I just got goosebumps thinking about it again. Uh, Something you just said, not to like make it a perfect segue, you know, it's this idea of, you know, bringing your whole self to this equation. And you talk about this idea in your book of choosing paradox or choosing Mm -hmm. um, and instead of or. And Mm -hmm. I don't know, maybe it's just the fact that we both share the same personality type, but your book, Imperfect Courage, really resonated with me. Uh, Good. And and I would imagine that a lot of your readers are women, but I was like, I was reading it as a dude and I was like, this is so good and so important. I've got like things underlined. I've got everything's dog-eared. But I love that. I think that's something that we're all kind of trying to figure out right now. This idea of, okay, what do we do when this is true and that is true. And I used to think that only one of right. those things could be true, but but maybe we live in a world where they're both true. And how do I wrestle with this? Right. Well, and I think we almost have to reconcile those things within ourselves first. Yes. And, you know, I know for me, I think we all grow up with this certain script for our lives and you grow up getting a coloring book. You know, you're not usually handed a big white sheet of paper when you're a little and a thing of crowns. Like, it's like you learn how to color within those lines. And I think we learn how to, okay, what category do I fit in? What group do I fit in? I actually, okay, this is so random, but a couple weeks ago, I watched the movie and you're younger than me, but it's called Can't Buy Me Love. It's like a total 1980s cult classic I've never seen it. Okay, so ends up my husband's like, this is my favorite favorite movie, babe. I'm like, I can't believe after 17 years of marriage, we didn't get this. But anyway, Mr. McDreamy is in it. So Patrick Dempsey, long before he was dreamy. Okay. So he plays a geek in this movie and it's your quintessential, like popular kid versus like the geek crowd. And in this film, he's the geek and he wants to be popular. He, it's his senior year. He's like, I want to be popular. And through this random set of circumstances, he ends up paying the popular cheerleader to date him and pretend. And he insists that is going to win him popularity. And lo and behold, she accept, you know, she needed the money. He becomes wildly popular. And then after a couple of months through this certain event, she kind of outs him. And then suddenly he has completely left his like nerd friends. The popular kids are like, oh my gosh, you're just a farce. And suddenly he is just in no man's land. Like he literally is at lunch out on, you know, the big lunch, lunch ground area. And there's nowhere for it. Like no one wants him to sit with them. And at one point he just ends up by a tree by himself eating his lunch alone. But that was the nuance that stood out to me this time, seeing it not as like a middle schooler, but as an adult, it's like, even though he was alone, he was finally at peace with himself. Mm. Like he was alone but he had this sense of belonging to himself for the first time and not needing to fit in to the popular kids or fit in to the geeks. And then like a fight broke out and he was able to kind of go stand up for all the groups. And I've just been thinking about that a lot lately. What is the, What does it mean to belong to ourselves? And 
I know Brene Brown, she just came out with her new book about leadership, which is incredible. But her last book was called Braving the Wilderness. And she had quoted Maya Angelou in that book. And it, it was really about like, if you can't belong to yourself first, you can't belong anywhere. And I've mulled over that for a couple of years because I'm like, Brene, you're all about belonging. And I'm all about, you know, bringing people alongside others. And really, you know, that's a huge message of my book is like, you can't be vulnerable alone and vulnerability and empathy are like the two key ingredients to life. And so, you know, please like engage in community, but I've just been thinking a lot more about this idea. What does it mean to belong to yourself first? And Mm, I think, you know, it does involve embracing these paradoxes that you don't have to sit at one lunch table or the other, but we all can have these parts of ourselves that can relate. And it even could go back to that movie, The Hate You Give, you know, how she was able to kind of integrate her, uh, her white friends, her black friends, her, how she grew up, her future, where she was heading. And, you know, that does create when I think you can accept and really love all these different parts of yourself instead of trying to be that either or person, but just say, you know what, we're all going to be welcome at this table. And I think that's where that sense of belonging comes from. And then that's where you can kind of go in and out of different groups and just live a more curious and non-judgmental lie. Because if we are not accepting of something in ourselves, then we're automatically going to be not accepting of that in the other person. And so there has to be this place of learning to embrace paradox and learning to embrace um, holding, holding those tensions, which I mean, my, you know, I've had to learn that through my own personal journey. And I still, I mean, like I'm speaking at a huge corporate event this Friday, um, Reese Witherspoon and Brene are the keynotes. Oh my um, goodness. And I'm, I'm not on the main stage where it's like these panels that are still just hundreds of people, but it's very corporate. It's a very corporate environment. And I'm an entrepreneur, full on entrepreneur. And I find myself thinking, okay, how am I going to prove myself here? Like, I need to spend more time on LinkedIn this week. Should I wear my statement earrings? Should I play down my fashion side? You know, and instead, like, I've become aware of my tendency to want to play pretend. And so then I then that makes me dig in even more and go, no, what is it that I have to bring to the table? Why did they want me to come? It's not to try to be the corporate person or it's not to take off my statement earrings. It's to be the both and, you know, in this space. But I think that we have to become aware of those places where we where we want to play either or so that we can learn how to embrace our full story. Uh, And it's, you're saying that and it's like almost like (laughs) something in me cringes because I'm like, oh my gosh, I have to do that because it's, it's really hard. And there's always room for growth before we hit the record button. I was telling you about how my wife helps me grow and learn to feel more emotions and to actually, you know, dive into you know, things that are true about myself that I maybe don't fully pay attention to. And it's such a difficult journey to, to think about your, I mean, for me, it's thinking about my insecurities, which I normally just pretend don't exist. And then facing them head on instead of just pushing past them saying, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to deal with this as I continue to, you know, live my life. I'm not going to let them stop me, but I'm also not going to fully pretend that they are invisible because I think that there's something important to be said about confronting those things and dealing with them. Well, and things. I think if you pretend that it it comes out sideways, you yeah. know, and I know for me, I've been on like this big last year of leadership growth and we had an executive offsite last week. I have about five people on my executive team. I know I haven't told my story yet, but (laughs) the fast (laughs) version is I run a fair trade accessories brand and we have about 60 employees in our Austin office and our exec team is there's five leaders on our team. And last week we were doing some big picture planning for the future. And we had hired an executive coach to help facilitate and we ended the two days and we did not know this was coming. The executive coach said, okay, in our last hour, I have a form for everyone to fill out and you're going to say these out loud to everyone. You're going to tell each person in this room what you want more of from them, what you want less of from them, and what do you want them to maintain? Oh, that's terrible. That was the wrap up. That was the wrap up. Okay. And thankfully we've done a lot of work this year as a team to where we have created this very vulnerable, safe space, but that was really next level. And for me, 
I, this is going back to your, you speaking about those insecurities, like I can often be experienced as defensive, which I hate, um, that if I'm given feedback, I'm not often like, yeah, that is so accurate. And let me, let me, tell me more, tell me more about that. You know, I'm usually like, yeah, but you know, and I, I've been doing a lot of digging in, like, why do I kind of respond that way when, you know, being a listener is a huge value of mine. And I think some of it is as an Enneagram seven, like the thought that I have brought pain to someone is extremely painful to me, you know, because I can't stand pain. So I'm just like, oh my gosh. But if I really take that in, then I'm taking in that I have been a cause of pain. And like the idea that there's even pain in the world is so challenging for me, you know? So, and I'm just really quick on my feet. Like I'm just a quick thinker, talker, you know, I'm an interrupter. I've noticed already during this conversation, I've interrupted you three times and I'm aware of that. But I'm like, how do I not do well, usually sevens, when we get together, we, we're, it's like this unspoken rule that we're allowed to talk over each other. Oh, yeah. We don't experience It's what we're here for. Like that. We're here to make a party. Yes. Even just the two of us. <laughs> totally, totally. Oh. So it's like knowing your personality, I'm like, we're cool. But, you know, <laughs> a lot of people do not experience uh, it like that. Good, now I got to think about who I'm doing that with, too. Oh, wow. my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. No, but I, I fully resonate with this idea that I don't want to hurt other people. And I don't want to know that I'm impacting people negatively. And yes, but at the same time, I think that one of the healthiest things that I've experienced over the last year is learning. uh, It sounds funny, but like learning how to regret things. If you had asked me five years ago, Hey, Brandon, what's your greatest regret? Which is like a question that sometimes people ask each other. It is always awkward. And I always said, Oh, I don't, I don't have a single regret. Every single thing I've done has led me to this point today. And now if you ask me today, like I could, I could create a huge list of, of things I regret and people I've hurt and mistakes I've made and things that I wish I had done differently. But I think I've been a lot more in tune with who I am, what is true, what is not. Like it, It's been really, really helpful for me understanding my life in not just a rainbows and butterflies kind of way. Yeah, that is really interesting because... Uh, Yeah, I don't often identify with this idea of regrets because I'm like, let's move on. Let's move forward. But I I like that reframe. And, you know, that was one of the things we went through this year. My business partner and I was, you know, a 360 feedback from the stakeholders in our lives that said, here's how how we experience you. And you can have the best intents. Like, it might not be your intent at all to be someone who appears like they don't listen. Like, maybe you actually are listening but if you're experienced like that, it really doesn't matter. Like what matters is the like the perception is reality. And so for me to really receive this feedback and then really go, wow, okay, this is how I am actually experienced. And that's not how I want to show up. And then how can I, you know, become more how, you know, the best version of myself, but then, you know, in a way where people experience me as, as a listener and as a collaborator and all of these things that I value. So it's been a really, really interesting process to go through, um, especially within our home office, because I can show up really differently among other stakeholders. You know, like we have this amazing group of social entrepreneurs, around 2,000 women around the country that are social entrepreneurs that are selling Noonday. They're growing their own businesses and organizations, and they're just amazing women. And I'm a little bit, I play a different role there where I'm a little bit more of like the inspiring person and the one to help cheer them along and coach them along their path to this amazing future. But at the home office, I'm more of the like, okay, I'm the chief creative officer and I'm helping to make selects around brand and campaigns and product. And I think that's where I can really have the most potential to grow. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hear you on that. And I want to say that I really appreciate your vulnerability in saying that because I think that that's not an easy thing to do. And you really showed up in your book in that way. And I mean, I even remember you saying at some point that you wanted to write it from the height of, you you kind of said transparently, you said, I wanted to write this from the height of victory instead of from vulnerabilities, terrifying depth, but you didn't do that. Like you, I guess, bringing it back to the beginning of your book. I love that your book started in 
a little bit of a place of desperation. It basically begins with you in a pawn shop pawning your jewelry and family heirlooms because you're like, we need cash right now. Like that's a really vulnerable place to to begin a book. Yes, it is. And, you know, I think my story in and of itself is is a vulnerable story, but I think that is really where life is lived. It's lived in the, you know, I think we want to pretend like it's in the up and up and up, but, you know, people really um, want an authentic story. And yeah, my husband and I had decided to grow our family through adoption. We had two biological kids and then decided to adopt to bring our third child into the world. And we're really on our way. We had a little nest egg and we were like, okay, that'll cover the really expensive international adoption journey. And what year is this again? This is in 2010. Okay, cool. So we've started the paperwork. We've already spent money. We've the paperwork is like the Rwanda knows that, you know, this is this journey that we're starting. And then about halfway through the process, my husband and I had been flipping homes at the time and the recession hit Austin. The housing recession really hit Austin hard. And suddenly we had zero pipeline of people that were going to buy homes from us or sell homes. And that little nest egg was now paying the grocery bills. And soon we were putting the groceries on the credit card and there we had no money in order to complete this adoption journey that we had started. And so I knew at that point, well, I'm going to have to start some sort of side hustle in order to make this happen. And of course, that was mortifying when I when I thought about, oh my God, fundraising, asking my friends and family, like, here, you know, I can't even afford to pay for the adoption. Why, why should I be adding a whole child into the family? And just like all those fears around how I thought I was going to be perceived. And some of my friends a few months prior I, we had been in Africa visiting. We'd been in Uganda visiting. And part of it was just this uh, research process we were on as we had decided, you know, let's internationally adopt. And so we were doing research about it in, on the ground. And my friends living in Uganda said, hey, Jessica, we have started all these businesses uh, for Ugandans. Where we've helped them to start businesses. We really believe entrepreneurship is the way to help people emerge out of poverty. One of those businesses is this young couple that's extremely talented, but extremely poor. And they're artists. And we got in to make a bunch of stuff, but it's just sitting in storage in America. What what would you think about selling these goods and seeing if you would want to kind of start that as a business? And I totally laughed them off. I was like, <laughs> doing real estate. I've got two kids. We're about to start the adoption process. Like, that's so sweet of you to think of me. Like, are you crazy? My plate's full. And then fast forward a few months later, we're broke. And I remember that conversation. Oh, okay. Well, maybe I could open my house one night and maybe just one night I can at least sell some African items. That could be a way to start to get money for our adoption without me actually having to like ask for money with nothing in return. Yeah. And so I one night opened up my home. I went and picked up all these African goods and I have necklaces piled on my dining table. And then of course, anything that was could be sold was for sale. I piled <laughs> my my entire fireplace with like dishes from my grandma. That I had a whole back room cell area that was like all my clothes. And I invited a bunch of friends over and it was so vulnerable because I think whenever we have a party, sevens love a good party, and we want to we want the more the better, right? So we want a lot of people to come to our party. And I'm standing in the living room and I'm thinking, what was I thinking? Like no one's going to show up, and if they do show up, look at how desperate this looks. No one's going to hire us to be their realtor now. I mean, and then <laughs> and then what are people going to think about us growing our family when we don't even have money to pay the groceries? And I'm letting all of these fears run through my head and I really almost canceled. Like this was a dumb idea. Dang. There's another way to go about this. And I'm so glad I didn't cancel because women came. Like women showed up. They wanted to use their purchasing power for good. They wanted to come alongside our adoption journey. And, you know, I maybe a couple people thought like, well, I'm not going to, they're obviously not successful realtors. I'm, I mean, I don't know. Who knows? But I will tell you, oftentimes it's like that quote, what if I fall? But my darling, what if I fly? And I think oftentimes we're preparing for this fall instead of preparing for for ourselves to take flight. And that one night, 
this, what I thought was just going to be one night ended up culminating and turning into a business where now those original artisans, Jolly and Daniel and Uganda now have a hundred full-time employees and Noonday Collection now partners with 30 other businesses like theirs. And we create jobs for 4,500 artisans around the world that's now created also jobs for 2,000 women across America to start their own Noonday Collection businesses and be social entrepreneurs in their own right. And so, you know, I just look back to that time that felt vulnerable, that felt like, you know, courage had cornered me. And it didn't feel like, oh my gosh, this is my moment of possibility. You know, it felt like the end. It felt like the demise. Oh, yeah. And yet I feel like that's often when we're cornered is when we can stand up and actually look at possibility in a different way. And, you know, I just, I like to encourage people that, you know, if you're in a moment of desperation, like, hey, maybe the next day you're going to be launching the world's largest fair trade accessories brand. Like you just don't know. <laughs> you just don't know. And so to stay in that place of, of possibility and curiosity um, in order to, to see what those next moves might be. I just wanted to take a quick break from this conversation to tell you about the sponsor of this week's episode of Sounds Good, Schmidt's Naturals. Schmidt's Naturals is on a mission to change the way you think about natural. They make deodorant, they make toothpaste, they make soap. And what I love about Schmidt's is that they actually walk the walk. Schmidt's always prioritizes ingredients that are derived from nature and they never include aluminum, parabens, artificial fragrances, or artificial colorants in their products. Everything they produce is manufactured without harming animals and they never purchase ingredients from suppliers that test their products on animals. They're certified vegan and cruelty-free, and I just found out as I was recording this that their deodorant packaging is all recyclable, which is amazing. So for listeners of Sounds Good, Schmitz Naturals is offering free shipping when you use the code GOOD at schmitznaturals.com. So just go to schmitznaturals.com today, use our special code GOOD, and get free shipping and also help support this podcast. Schmitz Naturals. Smell good. Do good. Okay, now back to the rest of the conversation. It's not like you set out to create this massive company. You're just like, hey, we're out of money. We need to do this thing. And it connected with people and it and it worked. I guess I'm curious, what were those next steps towards this? Because, like, did you decide after that night, oh, I should do this again? Or... Where did things go from there? Yeah. So like there was this one necklace that sold out that women were like, I've got to get my hands on that necklace. Give me more of that. And I had women kind of the next day I started testing it out. Like, okay, well, would other women want to invite me into their home? And I had a couple of friends say, yeah, like I'll do that. I'll open my home. And very quickly, I texted my friends that were in Uganda and I said, you know, things sold really, really well. And they said, well, why don't you just take that money and repurchase, you know, items from Jolly and Daniel will get you in touch with them directly. And Jolly and Daniel had no computer. They didn't even have a home. So they would go to like an internet cafe to get access to the internet. And I set up a Western Union account. Um, I needed money in order to, I was like, okay, well, what do you need? What do you do when you start a business? You need a name and a website. And so (laughs) I didn't have any money for the website. So I pawned gold jewelry at pawn shops, like you mentioned earlier, in order to fund the first website. And I just started asking women, hey, will you open your home? And Jolly and Daniel, thankfully, I was like, I hope that they're legit. <laughs> I hope this is legit. And because I started booking trunk shows or having women open their homes before I had product. And oh, wow. thankfully, thankfully, it showed up. It showed up. And so that was good. And then I just began to find other artisans. And, you know, this is before I feel like there's a lot more of a network of artists and businesses and handmade businesses and handmade accessories. Um, at the time, there wasn't. But I, I don't know, through friendships and through I had previously lived overseas and, and understood a certain level of international work and international development and had a little bit of a network. And through that, was able to start to curate more artisan goods and Then within, it was about eight months after that, someone contacted me who was also trying to raise money for their adoption and had just heard about me through Facebook or a blog and was like, I would love to 
start a new day collection in Seattle? Like, is this something that you've thought about or that you're interested in? And I had set up my website with affiliate links just in case that it would expand in that way. So I just said, yeah, why don't you put together a comp plan? And so she did. And then we just started testing. And then more women were like, gosh, could I start this in my town? And so very quickly, I'd multiplied myself overnight and had around 10 ambassadors around the country that were now going and doing trunk shows and selling. And that's when I realized, okay, this is not a fundraiser anymore. <laughs> like, yeah. first of all, you've raised the money. Second of all, now other people are going and, you know, representing this brand. So you better show up for these people. <laughs> and then we were about to go get Jack, my son. So this the adoption process had still been going on, and that's a long waiting period. And it was about to be the time when I needed to fly over to Rwanda to go and actually make the whole adoption official. And that's when I realized this is is this going to be a business or a fundraiser? And I began reaching out to different people, and um, through that, um, met with one of my friends named Travis, and he said to me after about a month of meeting, I was just kind of meeting with him for some mentorship. And he just said, hey, what what if we became business partners? And I went all in and lived off my life savings account to see if we can really make this idea into a scalable business. And that is when the rubber met the road. Because it's one thing when you're pawning your own gold jewelry or you're like going off and, you know, your friends are opening their homes. But it's another thing when someone's like, yeah, I'm going to live off my life savings account. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, but it probably kicks you into gear too. It makes you, it, it does. you know, step up and take things a tiny bit more seriously too. It does. And I I think that's really important for anyone who is wanting to grow a business is somehow you've got to link your success with someone else's success because it makes it inescapable. And I think as sevens, we're known as very good starters and not the best fish- finishers. Oh my gosh. And yep. I think for me, once like my future success was linked to Jolia and Daniels and they were starting to hire people in Uganda. So Jolia is emailing me and she's like, oh, we have five new workers. And I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> like, I can't quit. And then, you know, Travis, he has three kids and one of them has Down syndrome. And so his wife was really taking the lead and advocating for him. And this was this was it for him. And um, as much as, you know, it scared me, I think also there's something so powerful in belief. You know, when someone believes in you, going back to A Star is Born, I mean, that's so much of what that movie is about, was this musician who really believed in someone else. And, you know, sometimes when we are afraid, we can borrow courage from other people and borrow belief from other people. And I think that's what Travis really did for me. So as afraid as I was, which I was at that point, thinking, oh my gosh, if this doesn't work out, Travis is going to be homeless and I'm going to be responsible for him and his family's homelessness. <laughs> like that, that's how extreme I thought about yeah. it in my mind. And yet I think it does absolutely create this space where once you're committed to other people, like there's this African proverb and it says, if you want to go fast, go alone. And if you want to go far, go together. And I think for me, as someone who is fast, who talks fast, as you can hear <laughs> right now, who walks fast. I mean, everyone knows when I get to the office, oh, Jessica's here because I just like walk fast. I eat fast. I drink fast. And so for me, learning how it's not about fast, it's about going far. And, you know, when we have a vision like Noondays, which is to build a flourishing world where children are cherished and women are empowered and people have dignified jobs. It does make you want to go far. And then when you link with other people, it makes a commitment there that isn't there when you're just a kind of a solopreneur. And so it's been a real gift for me. And, you know, the first few years, it was so challenging for me to kind of hold that responsibility. I think as a seven, like I can feel so boxed in um, by other people relying upon me. And, you know, what I've realized, it's not so much that even though I've always kind of been a leader, it's not so much that I've wanted the responsibility of leadership. It's just that I didn't want anyone to be controlling me, right? I just yeah. like, I just want to be in charge so no one else is in charge over me because that makes me feel sort of boxed in. So that's just been an interesting journey to learn how to hold um, just my own growth as a leader as, as we've gone from sort of that like starter entrepreneur and I'm very much your quintessential like starter bias towards action, like, you know, act first, think later. And now that we've really scaled, you know, how do I still um, 
keep my own authentic self and bring that entrepreneurial vibe to a business that is, you know, a little bit more established, although we would, we want to be a well-recognized brand in the next five years. So there's, there's still a ton of opportunity there, but it's definitely been a really interesting journey to, yeah, own my story and own the strengths I have to give and then also learn and like grow in those areas that aren't really beneficial to other people. Man, I, I just think that's so inspiring that you're on this journey and that you're willing to talk about, you know, the fears that come with that. But it sounds like, it sounds to me like maybe the antidote to fear is being vulnerable in community. And I think, you know, whether that's in your workplace environment or in your relationships, uh, when you step into that, that's where I, and you said this earlier, you get to borrow people's courage and, it sounds like that's been what's true for you a lot of these steps of the way. Yeah. I think that this whole idea of going together and linking arms with other people, and that is vulnerable. That's extremely vulnerable because first of all, we don't like asking other people for help typically. And I know for our personality types, we don't necessarily like other people relying upon us. Um, because that can create this sense of responsibility that can create this sense of like, um, being kind of boxed in. Yeah. Suffocated. And so, <laughs> suffocated. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Let's get real. <laughs> we feel suffocated by this. Uh, so learning how to realize that that's a story I'm telling myself and actually I'm not alone in the world and the team, there's a team here that we really get to do this together and, than to choose community's way. And, you know, when I am feeling these senses of, you know, being boxed in or um, kind of that fear place to be able to be vulnerable and to be able to own that. Um, and, you know, you can't be vulnerable alone. The very nature of vulnerability is, you know, being able to kind of step into a risk without knowing what the outcome is. And it's a risk because it has implications on others. And, you know, I think that when we can own that, you know, when you come to value vulnerability and that vulnerability can't be done alone. And then of course, when you create a space where that vulnerability is received with empathy, then I think that does really unleash a lot of courage. And, you know, I've been really blessed in, in our community of ambassadors that we're really creating this culture of, you know, take risks and, you know, go for it because you'd rather die trying than, you know, die failing than die not trying at all. Yeah. And um, that's been really, really fun. And everyone has a different grid, you know, like I travel so much internationally now that it is just, it's not a big deal for me to get on a plane. Whereas uh, a lot of women that we travel with, because you get to earn trips as an ambassador and you get to travel, like sometimes it's their first stamp in the passport. And so it's very vulnerable for them. And so that's also part of vulnerability is being able to kind of go, this is scary for me. And I feel like, I feel like that's dumb because I know it's not scary for you. And to just go, you know what? It's not about that. Like we all have these common experiences and we all want to create a space where we can be safe to share so that we can, you know, not hide and be our true authentic selves. Because if you don't have that space of safety, then you are going to create a culture of pretend and where people aren't bringing their full self to the table. And if they're not bringing their full self to the table, then there's actually, it's like a, an environment of disconnection, which is extremely shaming and isolating, which is not what we want. So to kind of bring this back together, and then I've got some sub questions within this, your company does two amazing things, or probably more than two amazing things, but two amazing things in my book. Uh, you're helping artisans in developing countries uh, because you're giving them jobs that are meaningful and allow them to grow and become entrepreneurs. But then you're also helping ambassadors, women in the United States, to basically start their own companies and to kind of have a little bit more freedom in their lives in the same way that you had early on. Uh, I want to talk about both of those things which one do you want to talk about first? <laughs> well, you know, they're very much in parallel. And I love yeah. to use that word freedom because it is funny that, you know, sevens value personal freedom above all else. And that's ultimately what my business is about. It's about creating freedom for people. 
And, you know, here in America, it is about creating freedom for women, freedom for women to be able to pursue a life of impact if that's what they want to do. If they're feeling, you know, if they're at home and they're like, oh, my gosh, I've, like, eaten one too many goldfish off my kids' plates today. Like, is this my (laughs) life? You know, like, I want more. But they also still need that flexibility maybe to not be in a full-time job. Like, it creates financial freedom for them. So people are able to actually grow organizations and have residual income. And then it creates freedom for them to just live in this realm of possibility to get to travel if they want to travel and get to become these really, these adventurous people. And then on the side of our artists and entrepreneurs, you know, so many of the places where we work, it's it's 80% unemployment. At, it's governments that whose infrastructures are not set up for, for social justice. It's um, places where women are extremely disempowered. And so the freedom that we bring there is just a whole another level of freedom. And when you give a woman a job, especially, um, she uses that money to bring freedom to her family, to her children, and, you know, ultimately to empower her entire community. And so it really is um, about creating opportunity. How can we use our lives to create opportunity for others? And, you know, even within our artisan groups, what I love is, you know, maybe um, I'm thinking of one friend, she's an artisan named Addis and lives in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. And she has just a really extreme story of exploitation and, and ended up in sex trafficking and on the streets. And, Um, eventually was able to find a job with the organization we now partner with that makes a a lot of our jewelry that comes out of Ethiopia. And she, when she first got that job, felt um, she was so worried about getting fired because she was a little slow and she had, you know, never learned how to do this before. And she was very insecure and she just couldn't believe that people kept pouring into her and developing her. And now she's actually a manager at the workshop. And so she is now in that place of creating freedom for, for other people that are coming up behind her. And that really is what this is about. And it's like incredible. When I think back to that, that one trunk show and standing in that living room alone going, this was a very bad idea. And it was, I thought that only because I was afraid. I was afraid of what people were going to think of me, honestly, like at the end of the day, like, I think that's what it could kind of boil down to. And, and yet if we live into that and if we live in trying to just control how we want others to perceive us and, and we don't show up in that vulnerability of like, yep, we're broke. Yep. We're going to adopt yep, I'm going to invite you into my home anyway and let you see all of that messy story. You know, imagine we don't know what our no's are costing us, right? You don't know what you staying in that place of fear is actually costing other people. But when you start realizing that you are the solution to the problems that you see, when you start realizing that you playing small, you holding back, you living into those fears is actually robbing the world of what you have to give, I think that's when you start living a higher stakes life, you know, and it's very convicting when you start looking at life through that lens and start seeing your life in connection to other people um, is really powerful. I think that's why that A Star is Born just bothered me so badly. <laughs> it just really bugged me because I'm like, no, like, We've got to know our worth and we've got to show up and like understand the impact that we have on other people and that that's what it's all about, you know, and, and, you know, ultimately we're having an impact on people, whether we realize it or not. So you might as well wake up, realize it and then use it, like use it for good. Well, and I love the fact that you talked about uh, privilege in your book and this idea that we are so privileged and we get to use our affluence and our privilege as a force for good. And I think, you know, there's so many degrees of that, you know, as a white, straight, middle-class dude, I have a lot more privilege than other people do in the, in the United States. But also mm. just as Americans, we have a lot more affluence than people in other countries. But even, you know, like the woman whose story you just shared, you know, as she rose up the ranks and as she kind of uh, stepped beyond her fear and, and, took this opportunity in a leadership position at this company, like 
she now has a level of privilege that she gets to use and advocate for other people and use it as a force for good. And we all have those things. And if we can just step into that, like that's a game changer. It's a gift. It's a gift. Yeah. And you have to choose to quote one of my favorite uh, activists, Brittany Packnett. She says, Hey, you have privilege. How are you going to spend your privilege? It's like Mm -hmm. money. Like you, you get to spend it and you can use it for yourself or you can use it for others. And I love that you dove into this idea of how can you use it for others. Yeah. And, you know, I one of my dear friends, Latasha Morrison, she used to live in Austin and she's African-American and she started this whole group to, to really talk about issues around race, which I think when we think white privilege right now, at least in America, I feel like that is the very relevant conversation is, is around race. And she invited me to march in the Martin Luther King parade one year. And I thought, oh my gosh, I'm allowed I had used my white privilege as this like excuse, like I'm supposed to just be like at home mourning at what I've basically done, you know, to my country. And she's like, no, of course, like we want you to show up, like show up. And just that very idea that our presence matters, our presence matters. You know, right? We live in this Evite era where we, you know, we don't even open Evites half the time anymore. Especially <laughs> I've got three kids. I'm getting birthday party invites. You're getting school invites, all the things. And, you know, we've forgotten that the old days of like, you know, hand calligraphy of letter pressed envelopes. And, you know, back in the old, old days, I was talking the old days like me, but like back in the really old days, <laughs> the only way you would communicate is actually by by letters. Like if you're, we're talking like, you know, Jane Austen days. And, you know, I think about that and how we are invited, you know, if we could really take this invitation that we've been given to actually show up for our lives and to realize that our presence matters. And, and I think when you realize that you can start showing up in a really meaningful way to people in your life. And then ultimately, you know, that has a domino effect to people that you don't, that aren't even in your life right now that you're going to impact. And that's so exciting to think about, to think that like, there are people in your life that, um, that you're going to impact, but there's people you haven't even met yet. And you have no idea right now what you owning the power of your presence can do to that person. Like, like Addis, you know, she didn't know that she was eventually going to have an impact on these other people that she now gets to lead and mentor. Um, but that's the power of, of, of getting to show up. I think I have one kind of final question that kind of ties into this. And it was this idea that I really loved in your book, this idea of creating compassionate spaces. And maybe we can kind of end on this note of, because this is something that you have modeled, but also has been modeled for you. Uh, and so I guess I just want to end on this question of how can we create compassionate spaces that, uh, you know, invite people to step into this opportunity and invite people to uh, be courageous or to go beyond being afraid? How can we create compassionate spaces? You know, I think it really is positioning yourself as a listener and getting clear about those things that you are judging yourself on. Because if you are judging yourself on certain things by extension, you will judge other people. Um, I used to judge working moms when I first became a mom and that ended up being one of my biggest struggles to get over when I became the CEO of a fast growing organization. And now I'm the parent of three kids, six and under, you know, I had to do a lot of deep digging deep and realizing, wow, I think I've judged other, other women. And now, and that's because I was, I'm judging myself. So by extension, I'm judging others, you know, body image has been a huge thing for me. You know, I have judged my body harshly. I've wanted to like really look like Heidi Klum. Like I just thought, well, (laughs) if I could have Heidi Klum's body, you know, I could live a better life. And that I had to really bring that under a microscope when here I am starting a fashion business. And is it okay that I can be curvy and be in fashion? And I think there's all these places where we actually have to understand the places of self-compassion. You know, where are those places where we're being harsh critics towards ourselves? And would we talk to a friend in the same way we're talking to ourselves? 
and really letting self-compassion have a place in our lives. And then I think by extension, you create these compassionate spaces of belonging for others where things like empathy and vulnerability are just reflexive, where collaboration is just what you do. And, you know, that is definitely what we are doing at New Day Collection, um, both at our home office, among our artisans and among our ambassador community. Beautiful. And I love the work that you guys are doing. I think it's so amazing. I love what you said earlier about, you know, the the two people that you're impacting are are parallel. You know, they're, yes. they're, the ultimately the mission is the same. So thank you so much for stepping into being courageous and, you know, to quote your book, like being imperfectly courageous, because I think that that's, that's something we're all growing in and, and that modeling of doing that has definitely been helpful for me. Thank you so much. I really, really was excited to see. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to get to talk to Brandon. And um, it's just been, I love how you show up in the world. And we we love what we all get to do is build this flourishing world. And that's an invitation that we all get to get to receive and open up and actually live into. So thank you. Man, that was such a fun time. If you want to dive deeper into Jessica's story, I highly recommend checking out her new book, Imperfect Courage. It's available everywhere, and I personally really enjoyed it. You can also learn more about Noonday Collection by visiting noondaycollection.com. And while you're at it, make sure to follow Jessica on social media, especially Instagram at at Jessica Honiger. If you're new to Sounds Good, we would love for you to stick around I think that if you like this episode, you'd also love my conversations with Ashley Lemieux and Katie Myler. You can find both of these episodes and more than 100 other episodes by searching for Sounds Good wherever you listen to podcasts. This podcast is created by me, Brandon Harvey, as a part of Good, 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 a community that believes in the power of celebrating good news and becoming good news. Chad Michael Snavely and the team at CM Studio edit and mix the show. You can get lots more hopeful stories on social media by following us everywhere at goodgoodgoodco. We also create a beautiful quarterly newspaper that celebrates the people, ideas, and movements that are changing the world for the better. It's a real-life newspaper. You can order it today. It actually makes a great gift. Check it out and see what else we do at Good 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 by visiting goodgoodgood.co. And on that note, that is a wrap for this week's episode. Go out and refuse to let fear hinder your goals. And we'll be back next week with another inspiring story from an incredible person. Sound good?